Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Intimacy with God. What does it mean to be intimate and intimate with the Father? What does it mean to intimately know Him? What does it mean to be that well acquainted and that well versed? This very much connects with discipleship because you know, typically when we talk about discipleship or we talk about activities of a believer, um, we can name the things that we are to do, the tasks or the obligations or the responsibilities of a disciple. You know, well, we should read our Bible every day, right? We should be in the word. Uh, we should be devoted to prayer and conversation and communication with the Father. We should be diligent and devoted church attenders and church members. We should serve in the body of Christ. We should love our neighbor as ourself. We can, we can easily reduce discipleship or the life of the believer down to activity. And well, this is what they look like. The problem is, is the enemy loves to get you inundated with activity at the expense of relationship. In fact, he loves that more than keeping you far from God. That might sound weird. In fact, I'm just going to have to go there in Genesis chapter 3, guys. I didn't give you that, but I just need to go ahead and start there. I should have known we would have been in Genesis first. We Just about you could start in Genesis with anything you talk about because it's the beginning. Amen? It's where the patterns were set, and it's where the principles were laid, and it's where the, the intent was declared. But let's just go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm reading out of the New King James. Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So again, as we like to highlight, that shows you his manner of operation, his mode of operation. He's gonna come in tricky. He's gonna come in deceptively. He's gonna come in with a hidden motivation. He's gonna come in to manipulate. He's gonna come in to pervert or to twist. He's got to take a truth. Notice he couldn't speak until God spoke. But now when God speaks, God, uh, the, the devil is not a creative being. He's a created being. The devil is not the opposite of God. The devil is the opposite of Gabriel. Did y'all catch that? Stop putting the devil on the same pedestal as God. And there's just these two, you know, there's the good guy and the bad guy. He's not even close. He's a created being that has limited power, limited access, limited authority. In fact, he only has authority that is given to him. God has all authority. God is not a created being. He, being, he has always existed. He has no beginning and he has no end. Amen. So let's just get that out of the way. The devil is not bashing it out with God up and duking it out up in heaven or in the spirit realm somewhere. And, and, and sometimes he lands a punch and then sometimes God lands it. No, that's not even, the only punches he got to land were the ones he was allowed to land. Y'all hear me? And so the devil shows up 
And he recognizes something about Adam and Eve, this cre- these created beings that have been placed on the earth, been given all authority and all dominion. And so he comes in with this deception, this trickiness. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? All he had to do was throw one word in, right? You shall eat of every uh, tree of the garden. Turns, or well, you know, We'll see that later, that he ends up, he just throws in one word. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not, there's the one word. God said what? You will surely die. The serpent says, you will not surely die. For God knows, here it is, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Underline or highlight, you will be like God. You will be like God. Why would this big bad devil that hates God and everything about God, hates his existence, hates his operation, wants God to serve and submit to him and bow down to him rather than the serpent bowing down to God? Why would he tempt him and lure them with You will be more like God. And it's the same thing that the devil's doing today. He's constantly getting us to work out or strive for or, uh, you know, inundate our calendars and our schedules with activity that makes us more like God. But if you go back two chapters in Genesis chapter one, you find out that God made man in his image and in his likeness. They could not be any more like God. They were at full capacity like God. They were at maximum. God didn't, you know, I'll make you 25% like me and you're going to have to take up the other 75. I'm going to make you 85 or 90% like me, but you got 10% to go. He made them completely in his image and completely in his likeness. And when he breathed the spirit of God into them, they came alive. I mean, he literally put his essence, his being, his DNA, his, his desires, his will, his plan, his purposes. He, 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 he put them in Adam and Eve. There was, there was no more trying to be like or any makeup ground that they had to work on. So the devil tempts them with, you will be more like God, and he's still doing this to believers today. Because when you come into the kingdom, now yes, on the outside, the flesh will decay and the flesh still has its desires and the flesh still has its nature of the world. As, part, as Paul said, we know in part and, and, and we are glorified in part, but there's a day where we will be glorified and whole. But you have a spirit being when you come into the kingdom of God, when you confess Jesus is Lord. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things, everyone say all things. All things are made new. All means all. All things are made new. And God, when you came into the kingdom, he didn't make you 50% like Jesus. 
75% like Jesus, 90% like Jesus. You have all, and now you're on this discovery, and now you're on this journey to discover all of who he is, die to my flesh, kill the desires of the natural man, of the worldly man, of the lustful man, and live according to the ways of God. Romans chapter eight says that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So there's a mindset that I've got to take on that determines my life. I can't change your life until I can change your mind. You, you, your life goes in the direction of your thinking, period. But the enemy loves to twist and loves to manipulate and loves to remind you of your former man, loves to remind you of your uh, 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 you know, sinful ways and the behaviors that are still there that Paul says, I die, I die daily, I crucify the flesh, I have to kill that thing off. You're never gonna get your flesh to desire the things of God. Romans 8 also tells us that. They're at, they're at odds. They're at war. They're, you will never get the flesh to say, you know what? I, I think I'd rather love on that person than hate them. It's not gonna happen. So we have to crucify it. You kill it. And so what the enemy does now is he tries to involve our discipleship and our believing and our living in the kingdom of God. He tries to involve it and again, inundate it with all of the activity of disciples, with all the requirements, those righteous requirements. And he dresses it up as virtuous. Look at how many verses I know and look at how much time in prayer I spend and look at how many services I attend and look at how much I've given financially to tithe and offering and look at how uh, many times that I have you know, supported my neighbors and my community. And, and, and now we start to use the accolades and now we start to use the activities and now we start to use the, the religious behaviors as the example or the model or the indicator of our spirituality. And all the while, it's costing us relationship with the Father. Now, we're not eliminating all the things that we listed. We're not eliminating the need to be in the word of God as a believer. We're not eliminating the need to develop a strong prayer life, not even just a weak prayer life, a strong prayer life where you hear God and he hears you with abundant clarity and with understanding and with a knowing and direction and wisdom and then the yieldedness to follow it out and then understanding that his grace is what makes me strong to carry out the word that he gives me. We need to be devoted church members and attenders, devoted to the house of God, devoted to the bride of Christ to the embassy, the coming together, the calling out and the coming together, the assembling, not forsaking the assemblies of, our, of ourselves as uh, many will do in the latter days. Even as the day draws near, continuing to assemble, right? All these things that we know, our giving, our tithes, our offerings, our loving of our neighbors, our pouring out of the, the Lord, our witness, our exposure, our sharing of the gospel, our laying hands on the sick, all the activity should be an extension from relationship, not for relationship. And this is where I, what does a presence-driven life 
look like? What does a life look like in pursuit of relationship with the Father? What does life look like when I set my affections toward him? What does life look like when I'm so consumed by him and who he is and what he wants done and how he loves me and how I love him? What does that life look like that we intimately know the Father? In Matthew chapter seven, you know the the passage very well. Does anybody know how to get a tiny keyboard off your screen on an iPad? <laughs> I, nobody, okay. Y'all were all looking at me like, if anybody knew it, you would know. I don't know how to get it off of there. Oh, well, we'll just scroll around it. Must be a new update. Never seen that before. Matthew chapter seven, y'all know it well in verse 21. Jesus is speaking and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will, does the will, does the will of my father in heaven. Now look what he says in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, even having the right acknowledgement, You know, there's people that called Jesus Lord, but they didn't even know what they were saying. Saul said this before he converted to Paul. Got knocked off the horse. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He asked the question and answered it in the same sentence. Who are you, Lord? So you can even get the titles right, but still not know him. Lord, Lord, didn't we? And here come the religious activities that we believe are virtuous and we believe are the, the, the easy indicators. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Now, all three of those things were not only uh, suggested to do, we're commanded to do. But that's, that's, that's just a given as, as a believer and as a disciple, again, that these are the expectations now of disciples, that there should, there, there should be the prophesying in his name. There should be the casting out of demons and pushing back darkness. There should be the laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And Jesus only later, uh, you know, further fortifies this in the great commission when that's what he's telling us to do. You'll speak with new tongues. You'll cast out demons, lay hands on the sick. They will be healed. All right, so we're, we, is he confused? Lord, didn't you say that this was what I was, this is the activity I'm supposed to be involved in. This is what I'm supposed to be displaying with my life. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Notice you could be a force for the kingdom and still not get in. could operate in kingdom ability. And we've said this before, but the, the reason for that is, is because it's the result of the prophecies and the demons cast out and the sick being healed. But that's not for you. Those aren't the things that save you. 
Those aren't the things that fortify and strengthen your relationship. And God will do those acts and those services through weak people, through broken people, through people that don't even know him. Because he goes on to say, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. And you've seen it referenced many times that that I never knew you is not no as in I, I, I know about you. That's no as in I have never known you intimately. I think it's the passion translation. I love how it puts it in verse 23, but I will have to say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. There's something about this oneness. There's something about this closeness. There's something about this relationship that we have got to dive into because it will cost us. That we'll do miracles, signs, and wonders. That we will attend church and read the Bible. That we will pray and we will witness and we will share the gospel at the expense of ever truly knowing him at the expense of ever really having a real relationship with him. It should be convicting. It shouldn't be scary. Don't take this as scary as, oh no, am I doing it right? Don't worry about that. Because from this moment forward, we can set all that straight. Do not ever allow the enemy to bring condemnation and to bring a weight over your life of I messed this up and I I didn't do that right and I've been that person. Fine, that's the great thing about identifying a problem is I can correct it. You ever try to help someone that doesn't know they need help? Isn't that the most frustrating, aggravating thing you can do? I don't need any help. Yeah, you do. It's evident to all except for you. You're the only one deceived enough to not know and see we're going down a a bad path right now. No self-awareness, no ability to receive correction, no ability to be, to uh, even externally someone identify, hey, this is out of alignment or this needs to be tweaked or corrected or adjusted or whatever the case is. The first key to solving something or changing something is identifying the problem. And then you can bring a solution. So we're not going to allow condemnation to rule in this environment and in this series and in these talks. But we do need to dig into this because he says, I will have to say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. The word intimate just simply defined, Webster's Dictionary, closely acquainted, closely acquainted, familiar. Now, I know there's a dangerous side of that. We talk about that a lot, but that's not what we're talking about here. There needs to be a familiarity in the spirit. There needs to be a familiarity with the father. There needs to be an easy recognition easy to distinguish, easy to identify, easy to differentiate. You know, children at a young age can distinguish their mom's voice from everybody else's. It doesn't take long. If you can't recognize God's voice, that we're putting in very little investment in getting to know him. I grew up in the days where, uh, you know, you 
didn't have cell phones. You had, you know, like we all did, phones that were nailed to the wall with the super long cord that would get rat matted and tangled up and it would go under doorways, right? You could take that thing in the other room and the thing's still mounted on the wall, right? And in those days, I remember the days before caller ID. I remember when we got our first answering machine with the little cassette tape. And in our house, we did not pick up the phone until somebody started talking on that answering machine. Why? Because I don't want to talk to telemarketers. I don't want to talk to somebody I don't want to talk to, right? So we used the answering machine as caller ID. But then they came out with caller ID. But before that, you were at the mercy of just picking it up. But you know, when it's somebody you know well, all they had to say was, it's me. Huh? And when you knew their voice, that's all you needed to hear was their voice. You're so well acquainted, so close, so familiar. Oh, that, that's John. I know who that is. Yep. If you need caller ID to know when God's speaking, meaning you need somebody else to say, that's a word of the Lord, or this is what God's saying, or thus saith the Lord, that means we're not in tune on the inside enough that he's having to bring in a caller ID. Huh? God's having to bring in some spiritual caller ID sometimes. That doesn't mean all prophetic utterances, but this is what we do know. Prophetic utterances and a prophetic word over your life will confirm something he's already been showing you. If that's the first time you're hearing it, hang up. That's a telemarketer. I don't know that voice. I don't know those words. No, but when when a prophetic word comes, it's, it's confirming something he's already been stirring in your spirit and you were familiar with that and now you're seeing it on the screen. It's like, boom, now I have the confirmation I need. I'm stepping out and doing this thing. But it's not, it's not to give you something you've never, I, I don't want to go to Africa and now you got a prophet prophesy and you're going to go to Africa and start orphanages and build schools and it's like, I have no desire to go there. Not a word from God. Amen. Receive it anyways, okay? No, it's about growing familiar so that I recognize, easily recognize. This is the year of abundant clarity. And I believe abundant clarity is attached to easily recognized. I think the harder it is to recognize, the less clear it is. I believe that. If it's hard for us to recognize the voice of God, then it's not gonna be super clear. It's not gonna be, it's gonna be blurred at best. And we need to dial that in. We need to tune that in. We need to you know, work on that focus. Work on that focus so that it's easily recognized and it's abundantly clear. Say that with me. Say, the word of the Lord is easily recognized and it's abundantly clear. And so I think we've got to get this intimacy deal down because the, 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 the level to which we recognize his voice and the level to which we can hear his word and the level to which we can follow his direction and the level to which that uh, the word of God is clear to us, I believe is tied to where are we at in knowing him and him knowing us. 
where are we at? Is he, where are we at on the level between I know about him and I know him? If I know about him was a zero and I know him is a 10, where are we at? Just a good time to take some inventory. It's a good time to recognize my level of intimacy, this closely acquainted, uh, being acquainted with and being familiar with and the ease of recognition. Notice that he also says in verse 21, backing up there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who, though only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Then he goes on to list 22 things that you believe are the will of the Father in heaven. But apparently that's not it. That doesn't mean that they're not the will of the Father, but it means that you're not in full obedience and fully submitted to his word, to his will, to his way. And so now we can attach this intimacy to obedience. Now can I can attach now I can attach the more closely acquainted I am with him, the more readily I obey and follow his direction. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 15 John chapter 14 and verse 15, he makes a weird statement. He says, if you love me, that's intimacy, right? It's kind of weird to tell people you love them. Now, obviously, there's different kinds of love, but you're not telling you some, a perfect stranger necessarily other than, you know, I love you and God loves you. But I mean, love, this is not that level of love. We're talking about I love I intimately know you. And if you love me, he says what? Obey my commandments. It's connecting that level of intimacy with this is what ought to be produced in your life. When I speak, it should be followed. When I give direction, it should be, you should be walking out in faith, uh, uh, taking those steps, those steps of the righteous that are ordained or ordered of the Lord. Disobedience always brings distance. Disobedience always yields distance. Disobedience always brings separation. That's literally what the word sin means. It means to separate. Adam and Eve did not die physically when they ate of that fruit but they died spiritually. They were separated. They were cut off from the spirit of God, from the life of God, from the plans of God. They were cut off. Eventually, that decay shows up in the physical realm. People ask, you know, you know, why did they live so long? I mean, you're talking the life of God. The life of God in them. Eventually, God has to make a command, you know, 120, that's the max. We can't go any further. Why? Because of sinful man. Because of their sin. In Genesis chapter six, he says, I've got to remove my spirit from them because my spirit cannot 
coexist with sin. My spirit cannot remain where sin is abounding. That's intimacy. The closeness that they had, the walking, coming down and walking in the cool of the day with them and the speaking with them and the sharing with them and the, 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 the intimacy that they had, that was compromised through disobedience. Well, if it's compromised through disobedience, we can get it back through obedience. We can get it back through rightly aligning. And he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. If you love me, follow my word. If you love me, adhere to my standards and my principles. In the very next chapter, in John chapter 15, John chapter 15. He starts out, I'm the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's intimacy. That's intimacy. Intimacy is not frequenting. Intimacy is not every now and then. It is the strongest of connections. It's the most valued of relationships. It's the most invested in intimacy. Intimacy demands investment. Intimacy is not proximity. And we'll make some strong statements throughout this series because we've, we've got to dig up some stuff that we think is intimacy. Feelings are not intimacy. There's one night stands happening all over the place. And just because they are sharing the, that, the, the, the most deep and, and close physical relationship you can does not make them intimate. Intimacy demands investment. If you're not gonna make an investment in my life and I'm making an investment in your life and, 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 and investment demands boundaries. And if you're willing to go across a boundary to get to a level you haven't bought in yet as, as an investment, you're not willing to be intimate with me. If you're willing to cross lines, it compromises the relationship. This making sense? Intimacy demands investment. It demands closeness. It it demands time spent and it demands attention given and it demands a, 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 a super sharp focus. This is intimacy, closely acquainted, well known, familiar with. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Verse seven says this, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's the result of intimacy. When you obey my commandments, verse 10, verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. This is not a doing so I can earn his love. This is a doing because I am loved. And the enemy will flip that on you if you let him. You gotta do this or he doesn't love you. You gotta do this or he's, he, he, he doesn't know you. You gotta do this if you wanna earn his 
approval. You gotta do this if you want his affirmation. You gotta, and, and the enemy will flip that on you real quick. The devil would rather you live in that capacity than far from him altogether. He sure would. We already saw the evidence in Genesis 3. He'd rather have them living, striving to access something they already were, accumulating religious activity in their life at the expense of relationship, at the expense of intimacy, because he knows if I can get you to sin, it'll break that intimacy. And if I can break that intimacy, see, God has desired from the very beginning intimacy with his people. The devil has desired from the very beginning to break that intimacy between God and his people. It's literally the thing they're after because everything flows from this intimate relationship. Everything flows from this closeness. Everything flows from this acquaintance. The enemy knows he doesn't stand a chance in your life if you are intimate with the Father. The enemy knows he doesn't stand a chance in your marriage and in your home and in your children and in your finances. He cannot wreak the havoc he wants to wreak if you stay close to the Father. But if he can get a wedge in there, if he can drive some space in there, if he can dilute that relationship at all, if he can discourage that, if he can distract that, he defeats you by distracting you. A distracted life is a defeated life. You know, intimacy is waning when I'm giving into every distraction and everything that comes up and I have very little time for. And then we have to make statements to just try to, to just get the bare minimum. And it's like, man, you know, I'm gonna give God the 15 minutes I have. Well, you probably had more than that. And there's times where it's like, man, Hey, this is what I had. But, but are, are we just living there? We satisfied? Because we'll, we'll take time and we'll break this down to a, a physical marriage because there's times where we expect things of God that we wouldn't even expect of our spouse. And then there's times where we expect our spouse to put up stuff, put up with stuff that God doesn't even put up with as far as an intimacy goes. We can get real, real fast. Philippians chapter three, Paul says this about this knowing and this intimacy, and I'm gonna read it out of the Passion Translation so it'll be on the screen behind me. Yet all of the accomplishments, all the activities, right? All the accolades, all the uh, uh, behavior modification and all the stuff that I do, all the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him, meant letting go of everything from my past, throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness. Consumed with him. What does that life, what does that life look like? You know, when I was growing up, we were afraid of being super spiritual. That was a term that was being thrown around. 
I went to a Christian high school and, and I was around church a lot and I was in those environments a lot, but, but there became, that this, this thing crept in. See, this is the problem is usually when we fix one broken theology, we cross all the way over and break another theology to correct that one. And so we get, we were afraid of this being this, this super spiritual, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good was the thought. Head in the clouds, so spiritual that you can't relate to anything natural and relate to anybody on the earth. And so that we became very natural. The way I relate to uh, someone in alcohol is I gotta go to the bar with them. That's the only way I can relate to them, right? That's the only way that I can help that person in their plight and in their cause and in their, their, their brokenness. I've got to dabble with what they're struggling with to have any level of identification with them. Well, Jesus didn't. You haven't been through what I've been through. I sure haven't, but Jesus hadn't either. Amen. And so we, we found ourselves on this other side and, and, and our intimacy waned and our desire to grow waned. And, and we were fearful of becoming religious. And so we lacked in our discipline because I didn't want to look like. And I had a few friends that they just didn't care. One of them was Ryan Nordyke. I remember Ryan Nordyke, man, my son's pastor. Everywhere he went, he had a Bible in his hand. He had the WWJD bracelet. I mean, he didn't care. This were all stuff that even church people were like, whoa, man, that's gonna turn off unbelievers. Whoa, you, 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 you don't even look like someone I could talk to or relate to. He didn't care. He did not, he was praying in the spirit constantly. I mean, just, we would be in the movies. We would be walking down the sidewalk. He didn't, we'd be at a restaurant. He did not care. You could hear him mumbling under his breath, praying in the spirit. Under, I mean, just in tune. With the, and I would look at his life, I was like, man, that is what I want to be like. That's what I want to pursue. Had a girl in my high school class that, you know, today, for all I know, I don't know that she's, from what it looks like at least, she's even walking with the Lord today. But at that time, I mean, one of the strongest believers, one of the most phenomenal worshipers I'd ever seen in my life, played the piano beautifully, sang beautifully, played other instruments, just, just had a heart for the Lord. I mean, you open up my yearbook and you know, I'm getting jokes and, and funny stuff from everybody else. And hers is like, I hope that you align your life on the path that God has for you. And she's got like 18 scriptures lifted after that. And like preaching a sermon in my yearbook. And I'm like, this is, this is weird. But we mocked that and we got fearful of that and we, 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 we turned off to that and said, well, I, I can't live that deep in intimacy with the Father. But he, Paul says, my passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness based in keeping the, real, the written law. Meaning I'm not allowing my activity to outweigh my relationship any longer. My only righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him. That's intimacy. Join together. That's what the passion read in Matthew chapter seven. Depart from me, you lawless rebels. We have never been joined to each other. 
Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. I wanna give you quickly four benefits of intimacy. Four benefits of intimacy. These can be applied naturally, of course, but I want you to apply them spiritually. Number one is shared values. Shared values. When you become this closely acquainted, when you become this intimately involved, when you become uh, this familiar with one another, you share each other's values. We begin to partake of the values of the Father. You can write it down, Matthew chapter 16. I'm not gonna take time uh, for you to turn there. That's on the screen behind me. Matthew 16, verse 23. 16 verse 23, Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. And when you are intimate, you no longer have competing values. You no longer have competing agendas. His values are your values. His ideas are your ideas. His opinions are your opinions. People ask me, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? I don't think about any of it but I can tell you what my father thinks about it because that's the only thing that matters. I have so been intertwined and joined with him, his values are mine. I don't have a thought in the matter. I don't have an opinion on it. I have the king's word on it. And that's all that matters. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Just write it down. Colossians chapter three and verse two. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. One translation reads, set your affections. When we say set your mind, we're talking about thinking on. We're talking about giving thought to. We're talking about attention and focus. Set your mind on things above, not on things the earth, things below. What are we saying? We're saying that when I become intimate with the Father, I become intimately known, well acquainted, I now share the values of heaven. I share the values of the kingdom. I share the values of the king. And it's not, well, this is what the Bible says. I don't know what I really think about it, but there is no, you become transparent. Your ideas die and his live. Number two, benefit of intimacy. Benefits of intimacy. Number two is shared resource. Shared resource. We've heard all the married couples say it. What's mine is yours. And the wives say, what's yours is mine. Yeah, y'all know it too well. Y'all been rehearsing that apparently. No, it's a shared resource. He took up our sin that he didn't have to take up. And he gives us his life that he didn't have to grant to us. Paul says that the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you. What belongs to the Father now belongs to you. This is a benefit of intimacy. If you're feeling cut off from resource, if you're feeling short-sighted or, 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 or not enough, or you're not, you don't have access to something, you might wanna check up on your level of intimacy because now you start feeling like you don't deserve something that is rightfully yours because the relationship's not there. We need to address the relationship. Sometimes it's not a faith issue. It's a relationship issue. Faith works by love. So if the faith isn't working, we might need to get under the hood and look at the love and see, oh, you know what, that's, that's out of place. 
It's the gear, it's the motor that runs faith. Amen. Shared resource. Back there in John chapter 14, verse seven, we just read it earlier. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. He's saying, we're gonna share values. We're so intimately acquainted. We're so familiar with each other. You are so well-versed in my plan and my purpose and my directives that if you ask it of me, it's gonna be in line with what I want for you anyways, and it will be unfolded to you. This is not the genie in the bottle. If you ask it, he's gonna do it. It has to be asked according to his will. And when you intimately know him, you won't ask things that you know go against his will. We're gonna break all these things down. I know I'm going kind of quick, but I'm just wanting to, to, to kind of give us this picture of what intimacy can produce in our lives. It's more than just presence. It's more than just the worship team played the song at a perfectly the right time and the build was just right and the chord structure was just right and all the things that give us the feelings. We're talking about something that you, you, you have a knowing on the inside. All hell can be breaking loose around you and you're one in your relationship with the Father. Stop questioning, well, I must have done something wrong. Intimacy doesn't question that, which is my third point confidence of right standing. As a benefit of intimacy, you end up in a confidence of right standing. When the relationship is right, when the relationship's in line, you can't be moved in your worth. You can't be moved in your value. You can't be moved if you've done something wrong or you won't, you won't find yourself in these uh, opportunities where maybe the thing didn't happen just right and now you start questioning, well, maybe I should have done this or maybe. No, you did the right thing. Be confident. And when you know the heart of the Father and you're intimately acquainted with the heart of the Father, you have this confidence That's the boldly come before the throne of grace. Huh? That's the, no shame, no questioning, no wondering, no hoping. Confidence. I belong here. That belongs to me. My son, when he goes in my refrigerator, he goes in confident, rips that thing open, pulls all the stuff out, doesn't put it all back, leaves the door wide open. Why? He's in his house. If it belongs to dad, it belongs to him. There's the confidence that shows up when you are well acquainted with the father. Number four, the last one. No, I've got five. I've got five here. Number four, not easily deceived or distracted. Not easily deceived or distracted. That's where this whole thing went, right, went, went wrong in the first place, wasn't it? Deception. Got distracted by a talking snake. Well, could we trace this back to a lack of intimacy? Could we trace this back to a lack of deepened relationship with the heavenly father, with the king? You will never question the, question the word, question the intent, question the motive of someone that you are deeply connected to. When you are deeply connected to someone, 
they could even bring accusation against the other person and they would have to bring proof with it. You would doubt it until proven. Because that's not their character. That's not who they are. There's no way they could do that. And there's no distractions. There's no deceptions. When there's active intimacy, ongoing intimacy, remaining in me and I in you, you can't be easily led astray. You're not the uh, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine category. Nope. No, you won't. It might pick off some other people. It might blow some other people around. They might get up and leave easily. They might, they, they might have a, a lack of stability in their life. But when you are intimately known by the Father and you intimately know the Father, it, it, it takes, it, it, it's not happening. You're not getting uprooted. You're not getting misdirected. You're not getting out of alignment. You're stable. Not easily deceived, not easily distracted. You're not looking around. Not looking around. I mean, a lot of times when you see these kind of brokenness, this, this kind of brokenness show up in a marriage where they begin going out on each other, there's a lack of intimacy somewhere. That doesn't mean physical activity. It means intimacy. It means a deepening of relationship. Hello? All right, number five. Number five. The benefit of intimacy, it deepens the impact of activity. It deepens the impact of activity. Again, we're not taking the activity off the table. The reading of the word, the time in prayer, the uh, laying hands on the sick, the miracle signs and wonders, the, the, the growing up uh, uh, mat- uh, uh, maturity. But this is what happens is without intimacy, the activity becomes a burden. I gotta read my Bible. Oh, I didn't spend any time in prayer. And it just ends up as a guilt trip at the end of the day. Condemnation, I failed, I sinned again. Not living that righteous lifestyle, that holy lifestyle. We're not taking that off the table. But if you're doing those things as, as in hopes of deepening your relationship rather than I want a deep relationship and as a result of my deep relationship, I follow and obey and adhere to and align with and believe and I practice the reading of the word. You know, I have people all the time ask me, you know, what, what can I do to enhance my study of the word? What can I do to, to you know, it's, I have a hard time reading the Bible. I don't know where to start. All good questions. But if you're asking those questions without first engaging in, how am I deepening my relationship with, my, with the Father? How am I investing in my intimacy with the Father? You've got it backwards. You think that when I finally figure out how to read the Bible and study it well, I'll be able to have a deep relationship with him. Not gonna happen. That's when it stays information and never becomes revelation. But if you put the desire for deepening your father first, deepening your relationship with the father first, watch the word come alive. You won't need a how to study the Bible book. You won't need a devotional along the side. Come on, I'm being serious. Not that those things are bad. But the desire and the hunger just alone by itself 
will deepen the revelation that you get from the word. It'll take your prayer life to a whole other level. There are couples that don't have intimacy, but they still engage in physical activity, but it's a chore and it's a bore and it's just, ugh. But when you have intimacy, the activities are heightened. They're deepened. The result you get from the activities, all the more. Hallelujah. This is gonna change our church. This is gonna change our life. I believe that. Church attendance doesn't have to be, I've got to go to church. Now it can be, I can't stay away from the house of God. I've got to get among other believers. I've got to worship him in community. I've got to be a part of an assembly that's making a difference in in the world. It changes everything. And you're doing the same activity, but with a different relationship. Holy Spirit, we ask you now, Open up your word to us. Open up this word to us. Show us the ways in which we can deepen our relationship with you. That we can, as your word tells us, acknowledge you in all our ways. Father, we want to be acknowledgers of the move of God in our lives, in the small things, the big things. Father, I thank you that through this series, those that are able to be here, I thank you that this will be eye-opening. It'll make us aware of the places that we have digressed. Make us aware of the places we have not given those levels of investment so that we can correct it, we can change it, we can deepen it. Father, as a result, I believe that we can all grow deeper in our relationship with you. We believe this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website, at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.